Hey, Jack. All right. You got this stuff? Yeah. All cleaned in oil. Oh, yeah. Beautiful. Beautiful. Let's get it on. Who are these guys? It's my theme music. Every good hero should have some. Christopher Maverick. You can call me Mav, and I am once again here with a returning Wayne Wise. Hey, Wayne. Hey, Mav. You can call me Wayne. I, <laughs> <laughs> I wonder if people have been listening to the show for like, you know, a year and was like, I don't know what to call that guy. <laughs> 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 so, well, last week's topic was the Oscars, which, you know, I'm sure you enjoyed watching two days from now or two <laughs> days ago when this is right <laughs> because you are so into the Oscars that you skipped the show. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. The, the movies and stuff. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> well, hopefully. So if, if you haven't figured it out, that shows in our future, but you are past as you listen to it. So hopefully uh, I had a stellar week and, and predicted all 24 Oscar categories and blew Hannah and Zoe away. But, <laughs> you know, or that didn't happen. You know, right. <laughs> no way of knowing. Um, I'm sure we'll talk about that in the future. What I do want to talk about is and this is going to be interesting because as we record right now, you are no longer in the top of the box office. I, I saw game. that. I, I'm, I'm <laughs> now that another movie that someone picked has come out. I am no longer in the lead. <laughs> yeah. I, as long um, as I was the only movie out, I, it was good. Well, so as this show comes out, you might actually be in the lead again because how to train your dragon three comes out this weekend. And I expect you are going to make all the money in the world. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I, that, that's, a, that's a pick. I feel pretty good about right now. Yeah. What, what, what I mostly love about it is if you look at our website on voxpopcast.com, you can click on the box office fantasy game and you will see not only how much money we have amassed so much in the, so far in the game with Hannah being in the lead with $60 million, Wayne being in the lead with $55 million or in second place with $55 million, me being in third place with 25 million. And Katia has not had a, had a movie come out yet. So she's still at zero, but I put a little chart on there where you can see where we are and you can also see how much money people have lost and, 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 to um, the to the yeah, to the box office modifier. And you have lost almost as much as Hannah and my score combined. <laughs> <laughs> it's made, a, which it, I just it's love. made a tremendous amount of money, but the, uh, the modifier is changing that up. So, <laughs> uh, well. so, but you, yeah, you've got the dragon movie this weekend and you'll be, you'll, I expect you'll get your lead back for a little and bit. Then have, and, then, and then Captain Marvel comes out. And Katia is just going to kick all of her asses. Yeah. Because <laughs> it's a superhero movie. It's a yep. superhero movie about representation, representation of women in that case. And yep. should be good. Early reviews have been 
yeah. kind. So yeah, and I, I, you know, I wish I'd have picked something like Avengers. Oh, that's right, I did. Oh, screw you. <laughs> <laughs> but speaking anyway, of superheroes, speaking of superheroes and representation, that's right. This is that, that, we, that, didn't, we didn't even plan that segue. Yeah, yeah, that, that, yeah. That's yeah. In the business, that's called a segue. It was, it was masterful, I think. But uh, this is the last week of February. It is the last week of Black History Month, the shortest month of the year. <laughs> and we thought because we don't talk about superheroes enough on the show, you'd think we would do it all the time, but we really don't. We, we, we have very few shows devoted to comics compared to what we thought it, the show was going to be when we first started. But we thought it was time for a good comic book show. And as it was February, we thought, hey, let's have a comic book show where we talk about black superheroes. Seemed like a good idea. And I thought, well, who's the perfect person to talk about black superheroes? And clearly it's a white guy who works in a comic book store. So, <laughs> so, so I'm here as always. Yeah, I brought some people. Marcel Walker, who has been on the show in the past. Uh, he, we, the episode talking about Hoots Pal, the, the comic that Marcel and I and a number of other people have worked on uh, dealing with survivors of the Holocaust. Marcel's here. Hi, Marcel. Welcome back to the show. Hi, hey guys. How are you? <laughs> good. Good. Thanks for coming on. Sure. So for people who don't know, I, I am a black guy. Marcel, you are also a black guy, not actually a Jewish guy, though you're on that show. I like to think of it as I'm Jewish adjacent. Adjacent. Okay. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but you are actually an African-American, a real live African-American. I who Like superheroes. <laughs> yes. That is, you know, not as rare a breed as as maybe they were at one time, although I don't think we were ever that rare a breed. But yes, and, so that is, and that's kind of one of the things we're going to talk about. Yeah. So, yeah. you know, but before we do, uh, you brought somebody else along. Yeah, right? this is this is our friend J.R. Poole. Um, J.R., I, I met you through the, the store and comics, but I'm going to let you introduce yourself and tell us why you're here and why I invited you, because you can do better justice to it than I can. <laughs> Can I? Oh, I, my goodness. Yeah. Well, thanks for bringing me. Uh, it was very warm inside that bag. You just took me out of the oh. <laughs> I was waiting like <laughs> You were, you were very patient. Ah. Well, I am J.R. Poole. I uh, started a, I guess a project it's called the Black Heroes Movement, where I am analyzing storytelling's effect on culture mm -hmm. and using comic books to do that. Mm -hmm. Which is kind of perfect for the show. That's the kind of thing we do every week with beer. <laughs> <laughs> so what is the project exactly? You, you analyze stories. So give us an example. Um, for me, this started in a 911 call center. Uh, some other groups who have done this, they go to comic cons. That's your, your key audience, you know, the comic mm -hmm. con people. Uh, but for me, not knowing that any of this existed, uh, other black hero groups. I'm in a 911 dispatch center thinking that uh, the perception issues in the culture uh, needs to be addressed. Mm -hmm. And I thought about heroes and villains and storytelling. And uh, I joke and say the easiest way to get into someone's house besides breaking and entering is through story. <laughs> I, I like that. I, That's I, good. Yeah, yeah. Everybody write that down and pretend that you said it. <laughs> <laughs> Next time I'm teaching. <laughs> so, yeah, it, people are more inviting to take their written word inside their home than, you know, than you knocking on their door asking to talk about a thing. And while you're sitting there reading said story, you start coming up with your own perceptions of those people or that community. So I end up buying a lot of comic books. It's been a good journey. 
uh, I, when I go to the, to the shop, Wayne, you're not there sometimes. When I go to the shop, I'm spending like 60 or $80 on comic books. I'm like, I got to get a sponsor. <laughs> <laughs> I feel like you could get a sponsor. I recommend everybody get sponsors so they can buy more comics. I, <laughs> I mean, yeah, yeah. I, just, I think that's just a really good idea. Uh, so maybe we should talk about a just the broader topic of the importance of you know, diversity and representation. You know, that's uh, let's let's piss off all those comics gate people out there right at the outset and, and get it over with. Uh, oh, you SJWs out here, honest to goodness. Uh. That's actually interesting because we did an episode quite some time ago where we talked about She-Ra, the new yeah. t- She-Ra mm-hmm. TV series. And we talked about the importance of the She-Ra TV series, which at that point wasn't out yet. They had merely announced it and they'd shown like two images. And of course, certain individuals on the internet shit all over it. Mm-hmm. Well, now it's been out and, you know, one of two things was going to happen. Either they were going to watch it and be inspired. So, oh, wow, this is awesome. Or, and this is what actually happened. They continue to shit over mm-hmm. it. And so well, I was probably, working probably in, without watching it. it, but it doesn't matter. Cause I was watching, in fact, uh, we were talking about Captain Marvel earlier. Mm-hmm. Captain Marvel had its first critic previews yeah. last night as we record this. And three days ago, negative reviews from fans yeah. started appearing on the Rotten Tomatoes page for a movie that is not out yet. And it has 4,000 some odd negative reviews of people talking about how horrible it is because what they want is they want to see her in the bikini being Ms. Marvel. Yeah. <laughs> That's it. yeah. But I was watching another group where basically old white guys, middle-aged white men, um, who aren't Wayne. Yes. <laughs> By the way, Wayne, Wayne would be our token white guy on this episode. So there's going to be a few of those, of those comments. Yeah, thank you for saying that. <laughs> um, but I'm lurking on this internet group just to watch their reactions. And they were complaining about She-Ra and about the rebooted Thundercat series because the characters weren't sexy enough. The female characters weren't sexy enough. And it's much really? more empowering for uh, if, if the characters are, are sexy because they're supposed to be the perfect woman. And so I'm just watching. Right. And some other guy says, you know, have you considered that maybe this show isn't for you? Right. <laughs> and the guy's response, he had an answer for that. He was like, if it's good fiction, then it should appeal to everyone. It's like all the all the best television shows and, and movies. You know, you can watch it if you're a man, if you're a woman, if you're black, if you're white. Um, good fiction appeals to everyone and everyone enjoys it. And you don't want to have something that, that pigeonholes it to a certain demographic because that's not good writing. And I didn't respond, but I really wanted to. Yeah. I wanted to be like, um, you're wrong. I, I, I know I, you're wrong. I admire your restraint. Uh, that's well, the problem is I don't want to get banned from this group. I'm watching you're it right. because I need to analyze them for my job. So there's a lot of me holding my tongue quite frequently. You are like, but, you're um, like Owatu the Watcher. That's right. I'm, I'm merely watching. I'm, I'm merely observing. But his point was, oh, if this were good, this would appeal to me as a middle-aged white man as much as it would to a seven-year-old girl. And this is a thing that a lot of middle-aged white men believe because obviously everything that appeals to me appeals to everybody else. And what if you, which is not to say, yeah, which is not to say that I don't, that I don't enjoy stories about white people. I do. Thank God, because there's lots of them. <laughs> well, I think about it, it, it actually, it kind of makes sense that a lot of people would develop that mentality when the mm-hmm. overwhelming majority of media has been developed with them at the center. Well, and that, they've never had to think of it from that other perspective. 
Right. Right. He he doesn't he doesn't understand that there might be a seven year old girl who doesn't like watching women with triple D cups and high heels jump around. And I'm not even saying there's anything wrong with that story. Some people would say that objectifying stories are bad. I'm not saying that. I'm saying there's a place for the stories that you want. Sure. There's a place for white savior stories. But there's a place for stories about other people as well. And he literally didn't understand. And like my like I wanted to say, okay, you think this, but when's the last time you watched Moonlight? Because I assure you, mm -hmm. this guy has seen three movies in the last year and they all had superheroes yeah. in them. Sure. <laughs> and maybe one of them was Black Panther, but I kind of doubt it. Right. <laughs> you know, like he's not looking for that sort of thing. He's like, well, I don't enjoy this because this person doesn't look like me and everybody enjoys things where the people all look like me. Wayne and I have a mutual friend. I bumped into this person in another comic book store. And this was a few years ago. Are you cheating on the story? No, <laughs> I most certainly am not. And this is actually going with that metaphor. It's like if you see an X and, and you, and you, but you realize when you encounter them, oh, this is why they're my ex now. It was kind of like that because I, I, I just happened to be near a store I, I used to frequent because of proximity, quite honestly. And I was like, well, I haven't been in here in a while. So I stopped in and we, I see this mutual friend and we're just, you know, and the usual <laughs> shop talk kicks in. And at the time, uh, Tanahasi Coates' Black Panther, you know, was on the stands and I think it had actually just started. And this mutual mm -hmm. friend, it was just funny because he, he made a comment. I'm not going to do the voice. There's a voice that goes along with it. I'm not going to do the voice. But he, he, he just kind of started complaining about S SJWs and, yes. and stuff in common. And I thought... I, I, okay, so I don't know. I don't. I don't know who it is. Mm -hmm. So I'm going to do the voice. <laughs> it's, just, it's just like Marvel to do their liberal SJW agenda and force it down our throats. So pretty that's good? not. That's not the voice. Yeah. But that's oh, funny. Okay. Yeah. And, <laughs> and and it may as well be because yeah right right you know because it it was it became very clear to me very quickly that a book with characters that didn't look like him quite frankly and just didn't center him or anybody like him in the narrative it threw him up so obviously there's a social justice warrior component to this because you know mm -hmm. and i and, you know but you know you know and i if, if you read that series it wasn't preaching an agenda i mean it had something to say yeah. like all good fiction has something to say yeah yeah but you know i, I just I, and, that, and it's funny because that guy's voice is in my head when those conversations <laughs> pop up in person or online, because I know, you know, that's the perspective that they're coming from. They, they're not actually engaging the work to see what it is that's being said to them. It's, Oh, well, it's, it's an agenda, whether it's an agenda based on race or it's an agenda based on gender or orientation, et cetera. It's always an agenda as opposed to maybe other people from other walks of life also want to tell their own interesting story. So I'm going to propose an idea here. I'm going to split the difference even. I actually will say that I believe that Coates does have <laughs> in fact, I don't think he would even dis disagree with this. I would say that he does have a liberal SJW agenda. Sure. And I don't think there's anything wrong with yeah. that. And it does show up in his work, it, both his comic work and otherwise. And I think there are two things that we need to sort of address on, on today's show. One is what we were talking about initially was the need for representation I told a story briefly on the blog. I said, when I was a kid, my favorite superhero was Falcon. And this was very simple. The reason why one, he could fly flying is cool. And second, 
he was the only black Mego figure. That was it. <laughs> he was the action figure I had that was black. He was the one I knew he was black. Therefore, he was the coolest. Right. That was it. So I think there is a reason to have representation. Sure. Um, does that mean that I cannot like characters that don't look like me? Of yeah. course not. I actually do. In fact, I will say, like, I know who Marcel's favorite superhero is. <laughs> Marcel, who's your favorite superhero? Myself. Of yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> wow. Not published by yourself. Okay, fine. That would be Superman. Right. Who is very white. Very white. And you still yeah, enjoy well, okay, yeah. well, I, Let me, I, I'm just going to throw a question to all three of you, uh, being the, the token white guy here. You know, growing up reading comics, I certainly had no lack of characters to identify with. And, right. And, 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 and so you chose Luke Cage, right, as you right, said. Yeah, I, 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 I chose Luke Cage. <laughs> but, but no, but that, that is, that's important. I'll get back to that. But my question for you is, you know, as young black men growing up reading comics, when there was, you know, three, characters that you could look at and see yourself in what kind of impact did that have i mean were, were you actively looking for more i mean how did you perceive it then yeah i mean like when um, we talk about actively seeking something is when i saw spawn was my first intro into uh seriously following comics people say well race doesn't matter it did matter to a, a seventh grader because i saw mm -hmm. He had a wife. He had kids. I'm like, well, maybe I can have a wife and kids too, and not actually burn in hell. But I wouldn't have that. It does. Yeah, right. You get. And so, like, my buddy and I talk about this. We're seeing the the movie and how much we didn't like the film because his best friend race was changed. Mm -hmm. Here's, mm -hmm. here's, sure. Here's, yeah, here's two best friends. You know, watching a film together because we bought the comic books together we wanted to see ourselves and our friends and family on the mm -hmm. screen and it was changed mm -hmm. so i think representation matters in that way because you, you went to you go and seek it and when i did the uh, wizard world panel and i said um watching star trek the next generation i'm a big star trek fan when you got to see lavar burden there i felt hey i could be a part of a team mm -hmm. and so even in that bit of representation, when people say, well, why does everything have to be about race? Because I want to feel like I'm a part of the story. Right. Yeah. <laughs> because there are more green people in Star Trek than there are yeah, black right. people. Mm -hmm. There yeah. are. There are more people that that's, you know, if you're a Star Trek fan, unless you're a deep lore fan, if you're a Star Trek fan, you have two options. You have Jordy and you have uh, Tuvok. <laughs> That's it. Like everybody else, it took a while as a black guy. And to answer Wayne's question, for me, it's a little different. Like, I mean, I, I've been reading comics seriously. I mean, I, I had comics before then, but I would say I became a comic book fan at age seven. So 1980, 1981, somewhere in there, I just became an addict. And quite frankly, when I was a kid, my favorite two characters like the two that I subscribed to that I had to get every issue of were Spider-Man and the thing, neither of which were, were black, but Falcon didn't have his own book. And when Falcon started showing up regularly in cap again, cause he had left for a while. I was so excited. That was, you know, that became, Oh, now I'm going to read Captain America. Cause I can read Falcon again. That said, I knew about Luke Cage just wasn't my favorite character. I knew about Jon Stewart. Wasn't my favorite character. I enjoyed Falcon. So I was super excited when Falcon got a book. I was super excited when Jim Rhodes became Iron Man. You know, I, so those things mattered to me, but I, I, I'm just, I'm, I'm very hesitant to say that because the way we present things right now, there's a, there's sort of a thing where we sort of say, and this is what irritates me a lot. Representation has been, has become commodified 
to where uh, Wayne and I have talked about this. And I think I might, I mentioned on the blog as well, the, the care, the book America, that was out a couple of a year ago. Now America was a lesbian Latina superhero. And it was a book. I have all 11 or 12 issues. Cause I tried, I tried so hard and it got canceled. Thank God. Cause that book was awful. I hate character. I like a lot in other contexts. I didn't like that book. Yes. I love, yeah, I love her. I thought the book was horrible, but while buying it, I felt like this is the book that they are selling just to have representation because they think that representation is the only thing that matters. And to be fair, I'm not the tar- I'm not female. I'm not Hispanic. Um, I'm not a lesbian, so maybe I'm not the target audience, but I thought the story was bad and I kept wanting it to get better. So I kept reading it and then they canceled it. And now she's in West Coast Avengers, which has been great. So, you know, so I think it matters, but it's not the only thing that matters. And I was reading Spider-Man because I loved the story of Spider-Man at that time. I, you know, so it's not the only thing that matters, but it is important. If I can interject real fast, like Mav, I find it a little fascinating. I find it a lot fascinating. Actually, this this applies to both both of you, uh, Jr. You with Spawn and Mav, you with Spider Man and the Thing. Full mask, not human looking. Can't can't yeah, see any skin. Yeah, right, exactly. Like that was the first thing I wanted to mention because yeah, these are characters. There is that element that Thing Stan Lee used to always talk about of being able to project yourself into them, and I think that mm-hmm. that exists. I mean, if if you were following the actual comics, you know that you know the, these characters. Well, you know that Spider-Man, the thing you know they say are white. But when on the page, you're seeing them in action and doing things. Yeah, I think there's there's some validity to that. And mm-hmm. to cycle this back around, you know, you asked me, you, well, you mentioned about, yeah, my favorite character being Superman. And yeah, I, it, certainly growing up, I was it was made very obvious to me by relatives and friends and folks that Superman <laughs> was white, you know, and, and also I, Oh, I didn't pick up on that. Wait a minute. <laughs> yeah, no. okay, so it was, and, and also there's the whole, I, I'm, I'm a big believer that whoever, whoever a person's favorite character is, that kind of dictates if you're a, a DC or Marvel kid, you know, those are the two big companies. Like I've, I don't know if I've ever met a person whose favorite character is from one company, but they prefer the other companies character overall that universe usually yeah you know so i was a dc kid in a marvel universe so but i i did i love superman he was the first character i was really introduced to when i was when i was little well i don't know if he was the first but he was certainly the first one that i gravitated to and i could go mm-hmm. into a, a lot of the conjecture about like why he appealed to me so much i mean i do think there is something to that you know who people gravitate to I, I will say, I do think I may have, I may be, I don't want to say this unequivocally, but I might be, might have come along towards the tail end of people who uh, encountered these kinds of characters where I'm going to say they weren't really thinking of it in terms of race. And and I'll get to why I think that might be the case, but I just never thought about it. I can honestly say, and I might be an outlier when it comes to this as well, but mm-hmm. That never occurred to me. Like, I never once read my superhero comics, any Superman comic or any other character, and never thought that I, either I couldn't be a superhero or that I couldn't, there couldn't be black superheroes or whatever. Like, it just, it honestly mm-hmm. never occurred to me. And then when I got to the point where I was drawing and making my own comics, a lot of my early characters, they were, they were 
they were black. <laughs> just because I right. think they just came from my life and circumstance. But I had some characters that were white. I had, you know, I mixed it up. Mm-hmm. Um, I was drawing mostly friends of mine and family yeah. members of mine as superheroes. Right. So, you know, a lot of them were black and therefore yeah. so, so were the characters. So tell the story that, that you've told me about your, your cousin. And, mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Because this was leading yeah. directly into that. Yeah, that's what I thought. Yeah. So you figure I was growing up, I'm going to say, essentially, I'm colorblind in that respect. And it really it mm-hmm. didn't occur to me, didn't matter. And, I, you know, certainly I read the comics and could tell who was what, but it just didn't matter. So when I was about 11 or 12 years old and living with uh, my aunt and her family, I had some of my comic books on the, on the dining room table one day. One of my cousins who was, who was older than me and, you know, all of us kind of read, like I was into comics because I made them and it was my identity, but pretty much all of us in the house read comics. So one of my, my cousins was sitting at the table and he looks down at me and goes, hey, give me that one comic there. The one with the brother on the cover. And what it was, it was, and I, I'll always remember the very issue. It was Tales of the New Teen Titans, number one. It had Cyborg, Cyborg. on the cover. Cyborg, absolutely. And in that moment, when I'm handing the cover, that was the first time I did it, that it clicked with me what that could mean to people. Because it, it mm-hmm. you know, like that, like, oh, I understand that. Is that right. draws his that is important to him for that reason. So a little I'm going to say a little of my color blindness went away, but in a good way, like that's where representation became more more of a conscious, conscious thing. I think that's what the difference is. You were enough of a superhero fan as a kid, as seven year old Marcel. Right. If 95% of, uh, of superheroes were Jewish women, you were going to read it. True. If true. 95% of the superheroes were Asian transgender people, you were going to read it. Yep. You were interested in the superheroes. And so was I. And it so happened that even though my favorite character, again, my favorite character was Falcon, but he didn't have his own book mm-hmm. at that time. Um, in fact, I remember going out to like going to the comic book store when I heard there was going to be a Falcon one issue, one shot. Oh, gotta go get that, you know? Right. So, so like, um, but so so I understood that and there, and that was an important thing to happen. But the caveat there was for whatever reason at seven, I had become a comic book geek. I was going to read them no matter what. They were not universal. It's just that I loved this stuff so much. I mean, I love that stuff so much that almost 40 years later, I'm studying it for a living. Sure. Right. That's <laughs> and, and I host the show. So uh, as a pop culture weenie, as a nerd, that was drawing me in even if the people didn't look like me, but that's not what, what representation's for. You know, the people who read comic books, the, the most successful comic books that Marvel and DC, the biggest two companies publish right now, sell about 90,000 copies a month. Right. That's, that's your Batman, your X-Men on a good month. On a bad month, it's like 60 and average comic books around 20,000 copies. It's not that many people are reading comics. It, it feels like it to us, but it's not, mm-hmm. it's nothing. So the, but, but your cousin, your cousin is somebody who didn't care about comics. He wasn't a comic nerd, but he gets drawn into mm-hmm. our world because, oh my God, there's a guy, wait a minute, there's black superheroes. Sure. Hold on. I'm interested in this now. Let me know. And, and I think this happens for, for other minority groups as well. If you suddenly say if, if the reason America matters is because if there's a Hispanic lesbian girl, a girl who's 10 years old, never read a comic before. And she says, Oh my God, 
I can see this in me. I, when sure. I taught my sex violence and comics class the first time a couple of years ago, I remember very distinctly when we read Love and Rockets and there was one girl in my class and she was a good student. But, you know, every I started every class with, OK, so who liked this story that we read this time? And I had one girl who stood up and said, it's my favorite story that we've read. This is the best comic book I've ever I've ever seen. And I was like, really? Why? And she says, because I'm Hispanic and lesbian. This is the first time I've ever seen that in a comic. Yeah. Hispanic and bisexual, yeah. rather. Bisexual. And this is the first time she'd ever seen it in a comic. She said, and she's like, she's like, as a as a bisexual Latina woman, the, there's a character like me. And suddenly and she's like, she's like, I got and after the class, because we only read uh, we we read just a little bit of of Love and Rockets. Love and Rockets has been going on for what, 30 years? Yeah, 35, like yeah. And so yeah, so we read. I mean, she read like four issues that I, that I that I gave them, and afterwards she's like, "Are these still available? I need to read all of these. This is like this is I need to read all of this because that was more so than my class. You know, draw reading Superman comics, reading Wonder Woman comics didn't draw her into world. Reading Watchmen didn't draw her into into our world. Reading um, uh, Ultra, nothing. The one thing that made her realize, oh, I need to read comics for the rest of my life is Love and Rockets." for well, that, that reason it's um i wrote this down a gateway to a cross-cultural exchange yeah mm-hmm. when you're when you're reading these things yeah I, when you, you go to the store you see the shelves you either drawn in by the illustrations you open them up however that works for you but when i like marcelo's cousin passed me that one with the brother on it i thought well, wait a minute did something change did i miss something mm-hmm. and then when i started reading spawn i started buying other things as well Mm-hmm. It wasn't just all black comics. It was like, okay, now this is my gateway in. What is everybody yeah. else doing? Well, I mean, Love, um, Love and Rockets is one of my all-time favorite books. You just start easily top five comics ever. And there are very few people in Love and Rockets that look like me. Mm-hmm. Because Love and Rockets was made by two and a half because yeah, right. you know this is a third brother. But, but, um, but it's by a couple of brothers who are... Latino mm-hmm. who are like, uh, there's not enough comics out there for us, but I guess we'll just have yeah. to write one. <laughs> that's that's where Love and Rockets comes I mean, it from. Has it's a, like it has a really write. wide multicultural cast, but yeah, you know, mm-hmm. but there there are a you know white white people are the minority in that book. Mm-hmm. But but that that that, that cross cultural exchange, I mean that that's certainly that book was that for me. And then mm-hmm. and, and not the only book. I mean the you know, part of the importance of, of diversity in comics you know, to turn this around, you, you said the thing about Luke Cage. Yeah, I'm twelve years old and I buy the first issue of Luke Cage Hero for Hire. And you know, I grew up in an all white, very rural place. I mean it, it, Tom yeah, Town, it, it was it was white white. <laughs> um and you know it's, I, I've joked that you know everything I know about urban black culture in the seventies I learned from Luke Cage and there's sadly some truth to that as problematic as I now realize that those Luke Cage issues are. Oh, sweet Christmas. You know, given my, given my background, given where I came from, the fact that I could buy that book and I got really into it. And I don't know if I was 12 yet when it came out, probably not, but you know, like I, I went to chess King, which was a clothing store at the time and had mom buy me a yellow shirt with puffy sleeves you know, right. <laughs> so I could pretend to be Luke Cage in the backyard of my incredibly rural white community. <laughs> and, and it never and, crossed. And there ended Wayne Wise's yeah, political yeah, career. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> and it never crossed my mind that there was anything wrong with identifying with that character. So, I, so, no, I, so I see well, that as important for me. Those, those that yes. exposure. 
and that I think yeah, is what I that was that. the other half of it. Because I, I think there's I think there's an importance to representation for the person who's just look. I, I want to get into this new thing, but is there somebody you know? Is this even a thing for me? And, you know, Marcel's cousin, my student, the fact that there's someone out there that appeals to you on a personal level. Some people need that. Okay. I just need this. Okay. To tell me it's okay for me to like this. And the reason you can see that is because going back to that person I was talking about earlier who believed that, oh, universal things appeal to everybody, which is not true. My single favorite quote, and I reference this all the time, um, and I used it to kick off my my own book, Hero Core, is from James Joyce. And it goes within the specific is contained the universal. And I love that quote because Mm -hmm. to me, that is the perfect way to address what we're talking about here. Yes, you can write something that has universal appeal, but the way you do it, it's not by purposely trying to write the thing that is meant to appeal to everybody. It's actually go as specific with the experience that you're trying to, to, Talk mm-hmm. about and depict as possible. Go specific because if you do that, that's the part that will resonate right. farther. And I think that matters because Wayne's story is the other half of that coin. Sure, representation matters to me, the seven-year-old black kid who wants somebody to be a hero to look up to. I want Falcon to be somebody I can look up to. Absolutely. But to Wayne, the seven-year-old white kid in, you know, literally butt fuck nowhere PA <laughs> his hometown. It's middle of nowhere. Was there a black person within a hundred miles of your house? A uh, hundred miles, yes, but I mean not in my school district. Fifty? <laughs> yeah, I mean, like, yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, but, I mean yeah. I mean yeah. the, the nearest town, I'm sure, that there were a few black people. Right. Okay. You so know, yeah. The, the, the nearest I mean, town of any so, side. But but my my school district is the largest school district in Pennsylvania in terms of land area covered. There were 79 people uh-huh. in my graduating class. It's rural. And, right. and and when I was there, it was it was white. I mean, from first grade through 12th grade, 12 years in front of me, 12 years behind me, white. On, on the flip side of that, um, in Detroit, where I grew up, I had 330 people in my graduating class. Yes. We were like in an arena. And so moving here was like a, a culture shock. <laughs> yeah, I bet. I, it was for I me mean, too, for a very different reason. <laughs> right. I, I called my sister up on the phone and I said, there's a white lady working at 7-Eleven. <laughs> she, she was shocked. She goes, where are you at? I said, I'm downtown. <laughs> it was just something that was odd because you just don't see it in sure. uh, an 80% black town. Right. Um, so again, when we're talking about uh, representation and in, in storytelling, right. uh, we didn't see a lot of blacks on the shelf in a black town. Yeah. I mentioned on, on our last show on, on, on the Oscar show, my favorite movie of 2018, what I think should win best picture, except that it wasn't nominated was a movie called eighth grade. Eighth grade is a roughly a coming of age story. It's about a 14 year old girl finishing up her eighth grade year. So it's about, a 14 year old white girl and the troubles that 14 year old white girls have. I've, it is the I've actually thing. seen a little bit about, I've seen like some trailers and yeah. some background stuff. It's brilliant. Brilliant film. Nothing that I can relate to personally whatsoever. I mean, I can relate to at least being a, a young teenager and sort of, you know, having, uh, having awkwardness about you, but the things that she deals <laughs> with, yeah, the things that she deals with are not problems that I personally had, but as you know, as a 44 year old black man, 
she is sort of, you know, I love the movie because she is my window into that world. And I think that's one of the things that when people are complaining about why is this thing being forced down my throat, it's not being forced down your throat. You don't have to read comic books. You don't have to watch movies. And frankly, if you want to read comic books, I, you know, I've, I was at the comic book store <laughs> two hours ago. I will find you a book with a white man in it. <laughs> <laughs> it might be hard. <laughs> you know, I, I, reading the arts, any of this stuff, there's that whole idea behind it of you know, doing this is something that helps us build empathy to people who aren't us. Yes. I like you, that. A, a, a book that came out last week, a graphic novel uh, that was my, it was, it, it's, it's a creator who I've read before, uh, Lucy Nisley. Hope I'm pronouncing that correctly. Um, it's a book called Kid Gloves that is a graphic novel of her experiences being pregnant and giving birth. Okay. And in the context of it, she also talks about just the, like you did. Yes. She talks <laughs> about the history of childbirth and, and she goes in, she does tremendous research into all the things. It was the most informational thing that I, as a middle-aged white man who has never been pregnant, have ever read on the topic. <laughs> it was so well done and it was a window into a world that I just, you know, have not had that window into, you know, I, I'm mm -hmm. not married. I don't have children. I haven't gone through that experience with a significant <laughs> other. This book was a window into that in something that I just wouldn't have read probably in any other format. And it was so right. well done, but that's that whole thing of it builds empathy. Hey, I now understand people have gone through this a little bit better than I did a week ago. Right. It doesn't mean you understand it perfectly. No. And then you would not, and some people would pretend to, you know, it's sort of like, I know everything about black culture. I saw roots once. You know? <laughs> it's not, it's not that, but it gives you an, it gives you a window into that world. It gives you a, if it gives you pause to stop and think about, Hey, there's something here that I need to concern, you know, like is, is black Panther movie the most, you know, the most legitimate, the best representation of black life I've ever seen on film. Absolutely not. But if I'm a white kid in Iowa who's never met a black person before and suddenly there's a black superhero that's in the biggest movie of all time for that month before Avengers came out. Wakanda forever, man. <laughs> yeah, like There's people wandering around saying that. Yeah. You know, and, and that's, you know, that is phenomenal. The idea that not only are you aware that, oh my God, I guess black people can be superheroes too. It's not something I ever considered before. That and the idea that that movie had something to say to where, again, I'm not necessarily trying to sell you on the fact that Black Panther is the best movie of all time. I don't think it was. But I do think... Get off of this podcast, man. <laughs> it wasn't the best superhero movie of last year. You know, for Hannah, who's not on tonight... Into the Spider-Verse was. It was a better movie. <laughs> Into the Spider-Verse um, is an amazing movie. It's really good. <laughs> yeah. Also about representation. We can cut yeah. get to that in the moment. But like Black Panther was a movie that had not only, uh, yeah, it was great that it had an, all, an, an almost entirely black cast. But what made it for me was the fact that people who maybe never thought about this before had to sit there and think about that. Maybe Eric Killmonger has a point. Yeah. That is an important message that, you know, doesn't necessarily just happen in any random superhero movie. Probably should because that guy that I was complaining about, you know, oh, good stories are universal stories that build everybody. Again, he didn't watch Moonlight. He didn't watch Roots. He's not a fan of Blackish. He's not reading Luke Cage. You know, you know you know, these I, are and listening to to the, what you were just saying, and also what Wayne was saying before, just brought to mind a a, a, a thought. Like I'm, I'm 
trying to think of put my, myself in the place of the shoes of those people, the people who have the problem with the perceived SJW comics and things. Like it actually brought to mind like people who people who've been in prison for a significant amount of time and then mm-hmm. they are released and allowed to go and live in the real world in the outside world and they can't adapt so they have to go back to prison because they've adapted to prison life so much that the outside world is overwhelming and too much and it scares them mm-hmm. it's it's almost like that like, like, the cave. Wayne was yeah because Wayne was saying about like windows and as he was saying that I'm thinking yeah but not everybody wants to look out the window yeah. and, and I mean, I you're right yeah there's you know if you're if you're too afraid to leave that prison because you've acclimated yourself to it. You can have, mm-hmm. you can be living in a prison that's in utopia, <laughs> but <laughs> the moment you walk out into utopia, you're going to be so afraid you're going to run back. The prison then becomes your utopia. Right, right. So the, a world full of comics that represent everybody that is in the world is frightening. A scary to, thing. Yeah. The people of that Especially if it hadn't been that way before. Mm-hmm. Um, you had mentioned seeing black people as hero for some people that might be the first time. And that's a part of what I've been on this journey discovering through other comic books um, is seeing someone as the hero with Cifras, the, the folks who think black lives matter is anti-police. And you're like, well, wait a minute. Um, what about <laughs> black heroes? Do you think that black people can't be the protagonist in your story? Do you think that these people don't have anything to say? So after reading a lot of comic books, they're not anti-police. People are just showing themselves as the hero in this particular story. Mm -hmm. And if I were to write something about the the four of us and we were to represent ourselves in the story, it's going to be three black guys and... uh, and Wayne, I hate to sound like <laughs> and Wayne, yeah, and Wayne, um, but like, right? But, but that's what it's going. It's going to be our journey yeah. that they're going to read about. Um, side note: I gave a comic to uh, a girl that worked at CVS or does work on Saturday. Puerto Rican uh, went to college in Puerto Rico. We we're talking about her going back to school, and I kind of just swagger jacked her conversation. <laughs> I love that. Yeah, I've never heard that term. That's awesome. (laughs) Yeah. And I I talked about Black Heroes Movement in like just a a sentence, a soundbite. I said, there's a a comic out there too. And she's like, there is? I'm like, well, after the the hurricane, there was an anthology. Mm -hmm. You know, this collection of stories. And it was also informational. Told you Mm -hmm. something about the, the kingdom of those people. And her face completely changed from being in a bad mood to tell me more. Mm-hmm. And just from there, I was like, you know what? I'm going to give this girl this comic. And wherever, whatever happens to her from there will be based on the sharing of the story. So packed up the comic, went to uh, CVS and didn't make a big thing about it. I said, here, you can take this home. It's yours. She looks at it. She opens it up. It says Puerto Rico strong on there. She gives me a hug. I said, there you go. I'm going to go get some water. I bought my water, left. And she's like waving to me out the window. And it's a part of sharing those stories. Yeah. Yeah. They didn't really want to make a big thing about it, but it's like, you know, there's other things out there. Here you go. That's great. And that's where the representation thing matters. It's really easy to say this is silly when you've never had the problem of not being able to find stories 
for yourself. <laughs> like they're just, I made the joke. I was like, I will find you a comic with a white man in it. Yeah. It, it's not hard. You know, there are a lot of them. And when you have to struggle, I mean, again, why was Falcon my favorite hero? Cause he was the one guy. That's what it came down to. Like he was yeah, the I only said, one that had a toy. <laughs> I said to a friend of mine that, um, White guys have the luxury of being the hero and the villain. Mm -hmm. You can be God and Lucifer. Mm -hmm. There is a spectrum there. Um, when I started this, this project, I was in 911. And I looked up All-American Boy and clicked on Google Images. Yeah. And you only see one type of all <laughs> yeah. American mm -hmm. So then mm -hmm. I said, well, let me look up hero there's an actual website that describes the different types of heroes like the mm -hmm. reluctant hero um and i said well that's everything that everyone gets to be but i get to be the the thug or yeah. something else so we talk about representation again is that you just get to change that narrative a little bit and it's kind of exciting in the way to see other creators out there making things. Well, I wanted to touch on one last thing about the just in general. We've, we've done some shows about social justice several times. But if you're the kind of person who's really bothered by the liberal SGW agenda, you're not listening to this show. But if you are listening to the show and you want to ha get in a fight with somebody who says that, I want them to think about something. If you're a comic book fan and you are bothered by Marvel, and it's usually about Marvel because the perception is that DC doesn't do this as much. DC is doing it as well. DC made Wonder Woman, you know, um, but the perception of why are you forcing this agenda down my throats? All I want to do is read comics. This is all, you know, I, I don't, I'm not doing this for political reasons. No, the truth is you just never noticed before because again, I am writing a dissertation on superheroes. Trust me, I've read more than you have. And the idea of a social justice agenda is what started superheroes. Go back and read action comics yeah. one through five. Yeah. Um, Superman the was beginning radical. of Superman. Yeah. The beginning of Superman is a guy who my favorite Superman story since I've been working on my dissertation is Superman finds out that there are poor people who are being forced into a life of crime. So he knocks down all the projects to force the government to rebuild new ones and, and make affordable housing. He is a Marxist. He is the biggest socialist that you have ever met in the early Superman comics. That's who he is. Captain America on his first issue punches Hitler in the face on the cover because the entire point of Captain America was let's go and get justice for the Jewish people who are being persecuted by the Nazis. Yeah. That was the point of Captain America. All comics have always done this. The difference is maybe you didn't notice before. And if the only reason you didn't notice before was because all the people who are being helped look like you, then maybe that's kind of proving the point. <laughs> So, yeah. yeah, there weren't a lot for, you know, of social justice for women or social justice for black people in the early days of comics. There was social justice for white people. And maybe those are the ones you liked. And maybe the reason that we're moving towards things like a Black Panther or a Wonder Woman today is because some people who aren't you need heroes, too. And if you need a hero, it's not like Superman or Batman went away. No, not at all. <laughs> yeah. and, and, you know, there's. We, we have now, there's the Superman of Earth 23. Uh, and I mentioned that, Calvin Ellis, who was created by Grant Morrison. Um, he looks a lot like Barack Obama. He looks a lot, like, my understanding is he was Not, not Grant Morrison, the, the Superman no. of Earth 23. Yeah. Yes. My, my understanding is that this version of Superman was 
fashioned to be representative of Barack Obama and Muhammad Ali. Okay. And when you, when you read the stories and things that he's in, you know, it's, it's, it's pretty obvious, but I, I've thought a lot about this character. I have that. I had to get that action figure. Cause come on, but, but I've thought a lot about him and, and his existence because did I, do I need to have a, an African-American Superman, a black Superman in order to still love. No, no, I've, I've long since gone past the point where anything like for me, that's, that's necessary. But, but, you know, I taught kids, I've taught kids for decades and taught them about comics and listened to the characters that are important to them and, and, you know, and heard the reasons why it's easy to see how that this Superman be more catalytic for a lot of people in ways that the that that the traditional Superman is not. Um, mm-hmm. we, we've touched on how for people who are not just instantly in love with comics and or superhero culture, having something that reaches into their world a little bit more can pull them into this world a little faster, a little easier. Be that gateway uh, for their for their interest and engagement. And maybe that's what this is. Um, you know, maybe that's what this character represents. I can't help but wonder, would would my reaction have been any different had Superman been black? I don't think so. But mm-hmm. I can guarantee you there's a lot of kids where it would make a difference, certainly today. Mm-hmm. I, you know, when I went, went on and got older and made my own comic book hero core, and of course, you know, for the, the people here in Pittsburgh who are familiar with, they know that the conceit is it's the main character, the pro, is based on me, and all the supporting characters are based on people in my life, like Wayne. And I just turned everybody into superheroes, and it's set in Pittsburgh and all that fun stuff. And it's fun. I will say, when I did the first issue of this, and I put my own character front and center on the cover and, and didn't think too much about it until it literally, I was debuting it at the first picks. So I have a, I'm at the table with this table full of comics with myself on the cover. It didn't hit me until that moment. I thought, oh my goodness, am I insane? Why did I do that? Why did I put myself on the cover you're, you're, you're a little of this insane. comic? Am, am I radical? Yeah, I mean, I, had, I really kind of had to wonder for a moment internally like oh my goodness did my egotism turn the bed but you know what starting at that pitch I noticed something I noticed the power of this because black folks noticed that character on the cover and that Mm -hmm. continued well past then so fast forward a few years the Toonsium had an exhibit at the city county building downtown as part of Black History Month for that year so this is like four or five years ago and I, and I actually didn't know about it at first. And so somebody had to tell me, Marcel, you know that HeroCore is in this exhibit in the city county. And I said, no, I did not. Let me go down there and find it. So I took a camera and I run down there. And there's, a, there's an older black security guard working the door. And I, you know, and you go through security and stuff. And I tell him, I have some work. It's in the show. I'm a cartoonist, blah, blah, blah. So we're walking through, he's walking with me and we're talking. And he's talking about that he, when he was a boy. And this, this gentleman had to have been probably around 70, you know. And he's mm-hmm. telling me how he read comics when he was a boy and he engaged with them and all sorts of things. And, you know, I tell him that I make superhero comics. And he just volunteers that, you know, when he was growing up, he read a lot and he liked these characters. And, 
there weren't really any black superheroes or anything like that. And because, and this is, I thought was key. They just weren't thinking about that. Mm-hmm. It just didn't even occur to him about like, he said, they just weren't even thinking about black superheroes. Like that just didn't even occur to him. So we're walking and eventually we end up where my comic is on display. And I just, in the middle of the conversation, I just look over and I point. And again, on even on the second cover, I'm on, on the cover. So we, I point to them. And there I am on the cover of the book and I'm standing in front of him and he does the slowest double take I'd ever seen. But then it all, it just breaks out into a smile, which then turns into a laugh and he just kept laughing. Mm-hmm. And again, he told me he, I, I could see it one, it had never occurred to him. And certainly when he was younger, that, oh yeah, there can be black superheroes, but also seeing that and seeing the person who made it right there in front of him. And that person was me. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that mattered. You know, so it, it absolutely matters. And I, that's something I take really seriously. Even when I just do presentations and things on comics and, and JR, I'm sure you have much the same experience. Like when, when, when I am talking to groups and there are groups of all kinds, but I am particularly black groups and black like groups of youth, you know, children. I try to stay actively consciously aware of the impression that is being made on them, seeing me, seeing what I do and seeing what I produce. Mm-hmm. Because there's, when I grew up, I, first of all, you know, the culture was different back in the day. We didn't know what the creators looked like for the most part. No. They were, they were invisible, which is another reason why I, it never occurred to me that I couldn't make comics because why could I not? I mean, wh- I'm a person. I can do things. Why not? Uh, <laughs> you know, I have hands and feet. I eat and all that stuff. Why can't I make comics? But we live in a different world now and we see a lot of how things are done. It's because we live in this different world where so much is visible. I think it's vitally even more important for people to see who can do things. Like, yes, see this person who is is like you in many ways is doing this if you want to you can do it too mm-hmm. you know i think when you said um, the, the security guards if they weren't thinking about that mm-hmm. um a part of well I, i'll tell you i have four elements to the black heroes movement literacy legacy heroism and perception mm-hmm. so if you have nothing in your legacy bank to pass down to your kids then i figure you you are thinking about superheroes. I interviewed my family. We were in a hospital. My dad was getting surgery and I was coming up with interview questions and survey questions. So you were asking people who are in their sixties about superheroes. Everyone draws a blank. So I said, can you name five black superheroes? (laughs) No. Um, Can you name any heroes in a movie that are black that were not subordinate to anyone else? So our standalone character. And it was nothing. I said, well, did you read it all when you were kids? They did, but it was in like comic strip form. Mm-hmm. Or like, like, did you go to any movies? They did. And they would name um, Belafonte as one of their heroes. Um, oh, I can't think of anybody Sydney, else. Sydney Poitier. That, that time. Mm-hmm. Right. 40 that year. And I actually, I actually wrote these things down. Um, and you think about the era of which they lived and what you pass on to somebody else. So I would have Superman, Batman, Spider-Man, Hulk thing, but there was nothing that that group of people could pass down to me that was mm-hmm. anything different. 
any minorities, that is. My mother likes to point out that in the 50s and 60s, Jet Magazine, which every black person in the country subscribed to at the time, um, yeah. and <laughs> then that's not even not even remotely a joke. Every black mm-hmm. person in the country subscribed Jet. Yeah, we have. Sure. Yeah, and Jet Magazine used to have its own TV guide in the back that listed every week where would you find black people on television this week. Mm-hmm. In a world with only three television networks at the time, black people were on the air so rarely that they just had a page of all right, everybody turn in Tuesday night because this young upstart comedian Richard Pryor is going to be on, and you don't want to miss it. Everybody turn in, tune in on Wednesday. Lena Horne's going to be on Ed Sullivan. And that, yeah, that, sure. and and like you would just get, you know, here, here are the six things that you need to watch this week if you want to catch anybody black and catch them all because next week there might only be two, you know, and and and, and that's in, you know, realistically next week there probably was only two, you know, mm-hmm. like that that happened a lot. Yeah. I mean, you think about why certain shows were breakout shows. What was the show? Julia? Yeah. Mm-hmm. That was out in the, in the, like, you know, that was, that show was a breakout show for those reasons. I mean, we don't get that quite so much anymore. Not like that. Not but, for black people, but you do, but you certainly do for, oh my God, we have a show sure. with a transgender person on it. Yeah. Sure. In super, you know, to get say in our superhero world right now, there is a character on Supergirl right now who is a transgender mm-hmm. character played by a transgender actress, and that's innovative because I can't name another one on superhero television. Right. Sure. Well, and and Jr. To cycle back to what you were talking about, like with in regards to older people being able to recall like figures that were important like that, like people, figures who were, if you will, unbowed, uncowed. You know, I've read about Muhammad Ali and one of the reasons why he was so important was, you know, was because of who he was in terms of not being afraid, seeing a black man, just being able to be boastful mm-hmm. was stunning to people, you know, well, that, and, Muhammad Ali was a superhero to us when yeah, I was a kid. Well, that, that was, that mm-hmm. was a revolutionary act at that time. Mm-hmm. mm-hmm. And I think I th- I think you know we Wayne and I we've we've met the the best artist of all time Neil Adams <laughs> and he'll tell you that um, <laughs> and he you know he drew Superman versus Muhammad Ali and I remember getting that book when I was a kid and that thing was amazing and I still love it um, and you know Muhammad Ali is black Superman yeah I understand why they would partially base Superman in the present on that because he was that powerful in terms of what his his spirit represented you know we I, i've heard it said about uh actually i think Tanahasi coates has written about this I've, that and i've read it in other places for 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 black civil rights movements to make headway the thing black people have had to learn is to not be afraid mm-hmm. like when you when you get past the point when you get to the point where you just can't be bothered being afraid of you know what might happen if you try to make things better that's when you can finally get things done that's when you can move forward and you know Muhammad Ali definitely represented you know don't don't be afraid mm-hmm. and that again it's funny though cuz when you are not afraid that often makes other people afraid but that's a whole that's a whole <laughs> other conversation i also wanted to mention just just bring up real fast you know we we talk a lot about the the main characters and superheroes out there and uh, and one who I want to mention, who I, I really hope this character, there's just we see more Frank Miller's Martha Washington. Mm-hmm. 
And I say Frank Miller is actually Frank Miller and Dave Gibbons is Martha Washington. He has gone on record as saying that he considers her a superhero because in the, in the book, she is, she's a person, but she considers her a superhero and her superpower is her willpower and her mind. Mm -hmm. And if you read it, I totally get that. I think she is a fascinating and, and she does seem to be the forgotten piece of Frank Miller's history, like the, mm-hmm. the thing that nobody talks about. And I, I, I was telling uh, someone I know about this character, a, a, a black female friend. And I was also telling her that, you know, there's also a character that was created by two white men. <laughs> mm-hmm. And you have to wonder about the and I because I could see the question in her in her mind. Like I could see it, you know, like what were they what what did they create? Like, is, does this thing have does this work? Does it have validity? You know what? In my mind, yes, it does. Like in, it's an instance where a character was created. Like I believe it was whatever ether it was. She was pulled out of. It was so strong that she represents. She just exists. You know, like when characters they just take on a life of their own. Mm-hmm. And I feel like she takes on a life of her own, and she's important. Uh, so I, I mention her because I think she she fits in this conversation. But also, there's, there's the characters. You know, she is not a superhero. There are other characters that are not superheroes, but I think that have also represented inclusion because, you know, if you're living in a world, that world should be populated with all sorts of people. I think of the character, Robbie Robertson, Mm -hmm. which a lot of people wouldn't be familiar with. (laughs) And even people who are familiar with, with the character might think, well, why, how does that character merit inclusion? I think Robbie Robertson definitely merits inclusion because any instance I can think of where he appeared in a Spider-Man story, you saw how he was totally not what J. Jonah Jameson was. No. He was the opposite of that. Even if you look at the color of their hair and like with the the black and the white was dispersed, he was literally like the opposite of J. Jonah Jameson. But he was just as competent, if not more so. Mm-hmm. And Peter Parker had a different relationship with Robbie Robertson than he did with J. Jonah Jameson. And it's like, it's again, characters like that that also allow us to see our, ourselves in the world. Like just, just the, the breadth of inclusion. Mm-hmm. Well, Robbie was in many ways, Jonah's he's not as equal because Jonah's still his boss, but the fact that right. he was a character that could stand up to Jonah and be respected by Jonah for it mm-hmm. is sort of innovative at that time. Throwing in some, some comics history. And, and this is one of those things I haven't been able to track down a specific reference to, but I'm convinced Robbie was, was based on an actual publisher, a guy by the name of Warren Evans, who is an African-American journalist uh, who published all Negro comics in 1947. Uh, it was the mm-hmm. first book that was published by and created by all black creators. Um, and just him being, he was, Evans was the, the first black journalist allowed in you know, like courtrooms and, you know, like one of the first respected black journalists in America. And Stanley had to be aware of, of Warren Evans just because of the connection with him publishing comics. Um, and I haven't been able to find a specific reference saying that Robertson was based on him, mm-hmm. but I think it's likely. So right. just throwing that out there, but also just as, as a piece of history that the, that comic in, in 47, you know, first thing, done created by you know, an all black 
creative team. So that's my little comics footnote for the night. Well, I want to address, we had a reader comment for people who don't know. I always say that you should you know read our blog, www.foxpopcast.com. We always post a call for comments on whatever the next episode is going to be. And you can comment directly on the blog. It gets copied over to Facebook. You can comment there. It automatically posts to Twitter. You can comment there. If you tweet a, a response, it gets copied. We get notified. So we had a listener, uh, Bryce Swan, who responded oh, to the call on this one. And he says, I'm currently working on a graphic novel and I'm making an effort to make it diverse. And after reading the online complaints about Howard Chaikin using other people's stories, I'm a little concerned that I might be borrowing trouble. So what I think he's getting at, though, is the real question of if you are trying to be diverse, how do you do that if you are <laughs> not diverse. a white right. guy? Yeah. And I, and I, and I think that's an important question. So I did want to make sure we talked about that a little bit. And I think Robbie's a good, a good place to start because Robbie always struck me as a very real individual mm-hmm. written by mm-hmm. Stan Lee, uh, old Jewish white man at that time. And I think it worked. Yeah, sure. He felt like his own person. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, and, and that, I mean, it, it certainly you, as a writer, you know, as a creative person, you like my, my stories would be awful dull if they had nothing but white middle-aged men in them that, you know, who are like me, um, you know, it comes up if you're writing women, if you're writing, if you're an older person, you're writing children, you know, how do you get into the mind of, of the person you're writing? How do you portray that? And, and what do you do? And yes, it can certainly be problematic. Uh, there's you know, cultural things that if I'm just not aware of and I start making it up, people are going to know, mm-hmm. you know? And, and, yeah. That's and, a good point. I, I said like, you know, life mimics art, art mimics life and go out there and, and surround yourself in something and get engaged. And, and I think, you know, another way of, of dealing with that is, you know, ask those people you know if if mm-hmm. i'm if i'm writing right. a black character and 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 i have them saying something hey i'll come to one of the three of you <laughs> you know like hey well, <laughs> what what, what yeah. am i doing here is this too much this is you know does this make sense so i think that that's important i think that I mean, you said to ask one of us but the first key to writing i think characters that aren't like you is they are characters first People were just people. Mm-hmm. Robbie wasn't just a black guy. He was just a guy that worked in the office and Jonah respected him. That mm-hmm. was a story character. Yeah. And I think after that, you start worrying about, you know, do I want this character to be offensive? How do I make sure that I'm not doing that? And that just comes by interacting with people who aren't you. you sure. know, ask yeah. Them. No, I, I think you're right. From a creative point of view, it's like write them as characters. Right. It's always a question. It doesn't come up as much with writing characters of different race, but it's always, like, oh, he writes such strong female characters. How did he do that? It's like, well, I wrote a character and she is female. <laughs> that, yeah, I, I, that I, is, I happen to know some women. Yes. And that helps. And part of that is experiencing things that you can experience firsthand. Part of it is why you read things that aren't just about you. You know, why do I watch movies with white people in them? Well, it helps me understand white people better. Trans people helps me understand trans people better. Is so it perfect? The, no. The building empathy thing I mentioned. The, the, right. the that's how you of engaging fiction. Yeah. Right. That's how you get into that world. I also want to, I guess, for the benefit of the person who asked the question, address, you know, how to, how do you make your work more diverse? I, I actually think a more important way to approach this is because oftentimes the words diverse and inclusive get used interchangeably, but they mean two right. separate things. Yes. And when this was made most stark to me when I was that, 
I was doing some research a couple of years ago about something. And I know like, so you can have a neighbor and let's say there are 10,000 people living in that neighborhood. And mm-hmm. out of that 10,000 people, if you have one person who's black and one person who's uh, native American and one person who's Chinese and one person who's disabled and on, so on, so on, so on, you could legitimately say this is a diverse neighborhood. Sure. But it's not an inclusive neighborhood because mm-hmm. it's still overwhelmingly not that. So, like those two words, I think we, we, we a little care needs to be taken. I would say for a creative person, the thing you know, I would I would suggest to them: don't worry about making your work diverse. Is it naturally inclusive? You know, because if I'm mm-hmm. if I'm writing a story and it's set in a black neighborhood, it's going to predominantly feature black characters. And and if I was writing a story and it's fe- and it's set in a predominantly white neighborhood, it's going to naturally feature predominantly white characters. But for a lot of us, we're living in a world in this country anymore where there's a lot of different kinds of people out there. Mm-hmm. So think about where is your story set? Who do you want to have? And include them and work to include them. And when you do that, yes, like we've been saying, work, strive to make those characters as authentic as possible. Because an authentic mm-hmm. voice rises above anything else. Mm-hmm. I think, you know, with a character like Robbie and, 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 you know, I'd even say with, with Martha Washington, like one of the reasons I've taken to her is she feels authentic. Because you know when mm-hmm. a character does not feel authentic as well. Try to reflect the world you live in or the world that you're writing. If it's not the world you live in. So the question is, is it ever okay to not have inclusivity and diversity? It absolutely is. If you are writing a story that's about, you know, a very white place, if you're, then maybe there is no place for black people in that story. Mm -hmm. And that doesn't mean that the story is wrong. That just might be the story you're writing. And those stories do need to still exist. If you're writing a world uh, that's, you know, there aren't a lot of white people in moonlight again, (laughs) it's because that story is, that's not what that, what that story is about. So is it diverse? Well, not really. And And that's okay. (laughs) That's not what that, yeah, that's not what that story is about. And and, I, and here's one of the things I, I, I will get. I want to throw a bone to the people who who complain about the liberal SJW agenda. Not every story needs to be. I also don't necessarily want to see a story where things are diverse for the sake of diversity. If you are doing the Power Rangers, <laughs> the Power Rangers is a, is a show in all of its incarnations where you can tell that it's not so much that they looked out and tried to see the world outside their window. It was the, all right, we need to build a team and there needs to be an Asian and there needs to be a black and there needs to be a girl and there needs to be a white and there needs to be a Native American. And all right, let's start there. And then next season, we're going to have a whole new cast, but we still need to have an Asian and we still need to have a white. And still boxes. Need, they cast yeah, it like a metatonad. Yeah, right. right. Because now, yeah. And that didn't seem authentic to me. That seemed now, by the way, there are a lot of people who like Power Rangers. And I think that there is a purpose to that because it is building that empathy. And those are stories for children. They're not for me. Uh, you know, I get that. But was it authentic? Not really. And and that doesn't mean good or bad, but it 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 becomes a problem for me when I feel like you are building a story that is just to check off boxes because now you are what I call in my dissertation is you are commodifying the diversity. You are not selling a story. You are now trying to sell my blackness to me. That's what I felt Black Panther was to me. I know Mm -hmm. I saw it three times and I liked it. (laughs) Uh, (laughs) I, I did feel like 
there is some salesmanship here. Mm-hmm. But isn't salesmanship the American way? <laughs> yeah, it is. Yeah. It absolutely is. And does that make it right or wrong? I don't know, but it does become an issue with that story, you know. And when people are the people who are clamoring for Black Panther to win the Oscar right now, the people there are people who want Black Panther to win Best Picture. And for one thing, they probably didn't see the other seven nominees. <laughs> Again, I'm I'm the weird guy who I'm you know. Uh, I'm all about, you know, wanting to see all this. But if you are clamoring for Black Panther to win the Oscar, why? And the question is, yes, Black Panther does something very important. It does tell the story that a black guy can be a superhero, too. Wonderful. But is that the only thing that you like about it? Because we've had that story before. We had Blank Man, (laughs) which is not necessarily the same thing. We had Blade, which is actually good. So I, you know, the first Blade, it's got problems special effect wise, but I like that film. So (laughs) what is it? Yeah. What is it that you are? I actually like Blank Man, too. I think it's funny. But what is it that you are actually looking for? Are you selling the story just on the race or are you trying to actually write a good story? And if you're trying to write a good story, write the good story and then make your corrections. It's, it's editing, just like any other editing. We talked about um, uh, Blade in, in the 911 Center. Um, again, I did see Black Panther three times. But mm-hmm. I said to people in, in the group that we were talking, I said there was Blade. I don't know if it's just because this guy is a king or what, but what is the appeal? What's the draw? In the 90s, there was a few movies where black folks attempted to do superheroes, but it was very, it was in a whimsical way. Blank Man, Meteor, Meteor Man. Meteor Man, Steel. Yes. Mm-hmm. Steel. Yeah, mm-hmm. That came a yeah, I think that was in the 90s. Yeah. Right. That might have been early Shaquille O'Neal. Mm-hmm. Right. You tried, but again, like, what is it with Black Panther where those movies are now forgotten about her in the shadows well those movies weren't as good <laughs> i mean to be, to be just blunt about it i mean and they had their place and they were but they, the momentum was they were faded but also so i just read something about black panther and i liked how they they put this black panther might not necessarily be i'm using air quotes here the best movie but it's it's of the last year it's definitely probably the most important movie you Almost know, certainly, it, yes. It's you know so in in I, my personal opinion about this, I kind of do want it to. I do want it to win the Academy Award, and I'll tell you why. Not because it is a black movie per se. Oh, that's a partial part of it. You know, no doubt. The movie I liken it the most to is actually Titanic. Titanic went against the grain. Most Oscar-winning movies are made for let's face it, a very small audience. Most people don't see most Oscar-winning, and. You know, how reflective of that is, uh, is that of, of truly popular culture? I think it's, I, I find it to be a strange thing. You're the, you know, we're, we're saying the best movies are typically movies that most people aren't seeing, but Titanic, you know, got generally speaking, got pretty good reviews and, you know, and, and audiences liked it. And it definitely had massive appeal. I mean, it was the number one box office movie for, for mm-hmm. a long time. I liken Black Panther more to that in that regard. So it, it that's a movie that kind of united everybody in their love of cinema. So it didn't necessarily mm-hmm. have to be the best. Were there some amazing things done cinematically in Titanic? Absolutely. But it goes beyond is this, you know, is this necessarily the best written movie or is this the best 
has had the best performances. Now, I will actually go to bat for a lot of those elements in Black Panther. I think a lot of the acting was great. I think the casting was perfect. I think, you know, there's there's a lot of things that I will say about it, but I think the fact that it is a movie, in that regard, Titanic and Black Panther actually are, they're, they're outliers, you know? They're not mm-hmm. the standard Oscar movie. And for that reason, I kind of want them to win for that. And they're like, as big as they are, they were underdogs. I like mm-hmm. winning for underdogs. So yeah, I, I kind of <laughs> want it to win. I want underdog to win. Oh, no, that's, that's, that's different conversation. Yeah. Well, you know he was black, right? Yeah. Spent the, every well, cartoon rapping. I mean, come on. <laughs> good, good. And, and, he, and he was a shoe shine boy. So. Oh, <laughs> oh. You, you, and you can there's the tokenism right there. <laughs> you can edit that out. No, 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 no. That's <laughs> uh, I did want to address the one last thing, which because we've been talking about the diversity, and I wrote an article a while back on my blog that I was very afraid when they made Sam Wilson, the Falcon, into Captain America. As I said, one of my favorite characters growing up. And my problem with the changing of Sam Wilson into Captain America was not that I don't think Captain America can be black. If they had introduced a new character to take over the mantle of Captain America as a black man, the way Jon Stewart did with Green Lantern, I would have actually been fine with that. My problem with that was, A, I knew it was going to be temporary, obviously, because Captain America isn't black, he isn't white, he's Chris Evans. Mm. Captain America had to go back to being a white guy by the time the next Captain America movie came out, and he did, so I knew that had to happen. But also, the idea was that Falcon, up until that point, had just been generically a hero. He was Captain America's partner, but he wasn't the same as Bucky. He wasn't the kid Captain America. He wasn't, you know, a sidekick. He was his own hero who had his own adventures, who was less popular with people who weren't me, but he was a unique character unto himself. He was not the replacement for somebody else. He was not the Black Falcon. He was just Falcon. And I got into arguments with people who were supporting it. It's like, oh, don't you see what an honor this is to be Captain America. And my point was why? Because he gets to replace the white guy. Why is it more important to be Captain America than it is to be Falcon? To me, the changing of Falcon into Captain America was not the same as what happened with Miles Morales because it was, it was not a legacy. It was saying the legacy of being Falcon for 45 fucking years was not as important as the legacy of being the replacement Captain America for two. Like I knew there was a time limit on it because I'm not new to comics. <laughs> I've read a few of them before. Right. The general populace is always going to see Steve Rogers as the real one. So why do we need to turn an established character into a legacy character. I'm fine with Kamala Khan. I actually love Kamala Khan. I think it's a great book. I'm fine with Miles. I love, I think it's a great book. I think Moon Girl's a great book. These are original characters that are being introduced into the mythos in order to sort of increase diversity. Sam didn't increase diversity. They had exactly the same amount of black characters before Sam became Captain America as they had after. They, but they did yeah, have they, one they, less Falcon. Yeah, they had one less original <laughs> character. Yeah, yes, and that bugged me, and it bugged me when they announced it because they because it became a commodifying diversity thing. What people don't remember is Sam Wilson was announced that it was going to be on Captain America on the Colbert Report on Stephen Colbert's television show the day after Thor was announced that it was going to become a woman on The View. The View is not a 
bastion of comic book <laughs> readers. Colbert Report is not a safe haven for comic book readers. They put these things out there because they wanted to announce it to the biggest audience they could of mainstream viewers. They were selling the idea that Marvel was becoming diverse. And if you go back, you'll see that they made these two announcements on The View and on Colbert Report within 24 hours of each other a week before San Diego Comic-Con. They could have gone to the largest gathering of comic book fans on the planet and made these announcements, but they didn't because the idea was not to create diversity in the comic books. The idea was to sell the idea of diversity to the general public. That bothered me because now you're not telling a story. Now you're saying, hey, hey, we're diverse. Come read us. Give us money. And that was a problem for me because it was because it wasn't genuine and because it was clearly going to be temporary. OK, I'm going to play devil's advocate a little bit, although I do agree with a lot of what you're saying and stuff. But in terms of when is it a genuine time to, to look and look at inclusivity and diversity? Mm -hmm. I think we can look at our fictions and we look and look at our real world and just kind of acknowledge if something is lacking, mm -hmm. it needs to be addressed. Absolutely. So like if you have a hypothetical <laughs> board of directors of an of an organization and that board is comprised of white people mm -hmm. and at some point you go shit, we need we need some people of color and women and stuff. Like if it's comprised I'm going to say of white of of middle-aged white men and you look right. and you realize well we this 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 is not inclusive. Not inclusive. So when do we address this? Do we, hey, what is the natural way to change that up? I mean, at some point mm -hmm. you gotta, you gotta fix that <laughs> and, you can, and you maybe don't, maybe you're not subtle about it. Maybe you just do it and you, you let the world know, like, like, I don't know if there is a right or wrong way to do it. Although I will say, you know, there is, there are the things that feel right. There are the things that have the ring of truth. There are the things that are maybe done with good intentions. But you know what they say about good intentions, you know, mm -hmm. that doesn't necessarily mean a thing is good to be done or not. You know, the, the Sam Wilson thing, I can kind of live with or without him as Captain America. I will. The, the comparison, the real world comparison I'll make, though, is if I'm not looking at Captain America so much as just Steve Rogers. Now, if you you know, we all grew up on that. You know, much like mm -hmm. I grew up with, with the Clark Kent is Superman and all these things. But if I look at Captain America as as a title or a placeholder or more in a more iconographic sense, blah, mm -hmm. you know, in the real world, that could be an astronaut. And if all I've ever seen are white astronauts mm -hmm. at some point, yeah, we should see a, a female astronaut or we should see a black astronaut. We should see. A I agree. Man. But here's the difference. Here's the difference. Take your board of directors thing, right? Mm -hmm. Here's how I saw the Sam Wilson thing. I'm going to use and I'm going to take black people out of the equation. I'm going to use use women. If you have a, a company and you have 12 vice presidents and a president and of the 12, 11 of the vice presidents are middle-aged white men and the vice president of marketing is a white woman. And at some point, the vice president of technology decides he's going to retire. They didn't hire a woman to be the new vice president of technology. They said, Hey, we are taking the woman who is vice president of marketing and we are making her vice president of technology. Aren't we great? No, no, <laughs> you didn't. All you said was that technology is more important than marketing. You didn't, you know, you didn't actually increase the number of women on your board. That was you know my what? problem with it. But, but again, with, with Captain America, I would make the argument that the, the bigger thing that we get out of that, though, is 
you know, if Captain America stands as as you know, this is one of Marvel's figurehead characters. Mm-hmm. You, I think the larger message that is gets communicated, or ideally would gets communicated, is that you know that's a mantle that can be held by something other for, than just a blonde-haired white guy for two years until the more important movie comes out. Well, well I'll put it like this: right now in mm-hmm. the DC universe, like yes, John Stewart was introduced as an original character up under the green mm-hmm. lantern mantle but you know what there's a generation of readers out there to John Stewart is, the real is green... their green lantern absolutely Be- and, because and of that's when the they difference. entered into comics so mm-hmm. maybe sam wilson let's say he only got gets two years but look at it depending on who gets in there like who starts paying attention to that in those two years that's where you're ultimately going to see the dividends of that pay off and i guess for me it just always felt temporary because well, Obama the, was temporary. Sure. But also, Obama, another example uh, yeah. too, uh, presidents. We change presidents. Mm-hmm. The, we have the office of the presidency. You have different people who occupy said office. Mm-hmm. Um, however, going back to um, you're saying when Sam seemed less important, uh, I kind of felt that was true. Mm-hmm. You, you said this guy isn't as important until he does this. Right. On, until he becomes mm-hmm. this. Yeah. And then, I feel like they've kind of pigeonholed themselves with this legacy. Mm-hmm. Like we have to have this thing that makes you buy comics. Mm-hmm. Um, like when Superman died, people cried. He's dead now. Let's do something different. But now let's bring him back. Let's do this diversity thing. Right. I'm like, eh, but do right. we have to do that? Can we have something new? These are, we're telling stories, but do we have to have this guy and then have to have this brown guy, mm-hmm. that guy to get you to buy shit? The difference between Obama and Falcon is that when Obama was done being president, we didn't go back to George Washington again. That's, you know, there's, I mean, there's another president happens to be a guy I don't like, but, but, um, but it's, but the role of, you know, the role of the president of the United States of America always will rotate. The role of the Green Lanterns is set such that we can have more than one. The role of Captain America, even though in storyline, yes, I realize that the role of Captain America is a mantle that can be passed on outside of the storyline to the reader. Marvel presents the story such that Steve Rogers is the real Captain America in a way that DC does not with the Green Lanterns. You know why, though? Why is that? Money. Yeah. Oh, absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. Like, there's, you know, there's, there's, you know, if you want to, because, you know, last time I checked, black people actually do like science fiction. So let's, <laughs> let's imagine an alternate universe where Sam Wilson became Captain America and sales quadruple. Mm-hmm. There, there is no way that Marvel Comics would have not noticed that and would have not capitalized on that because the bottom line is money. And usually what comic book publishers do, DC Marvel, it's DC's Marvel's game, mm-hmm. is they don't want to let anything that has the potential of earning some money go. Mm-hmm. So that's why you will, if, if that comic had happened and that had in sales had quadrupled like that, what you'd be looking at right now is a world with two Captain Americas, one Which white they tried. one, one black one. Yeah, they, they did that for a little while. And they did it for a little while. And it's exactly what happened with Miles. It's why there's a Miles and there's a Peter. The reason Miles maintains in the Marvel Universe today is because the Bendis' original run on Ultimate Spider-Man with Miles was insanely popular 
Sure. So yeah, yeah, sure. If they, if they can make money with it, absolutely. But then that goes to my, goes back to the question of, are you just selling the diversity? I don't know. I don't know if there's any <laughs> one answer to that because mm-hmm. I think that we should all research that the business of storytelling, mm-hmm. what's going to make money, what's going to drive you to the shelves or to the theater. Uh, and there's a little bit of exploitation there. Mm-hmm. So do we dangle this carrot in front of those people so we can get those new dollars? Or are we actually making real quality stories? Mm-hmm. And so I, I think we all just call an executive and go, are you doing this for money-making reasons or do you actually want to contribute to society and go? I don't know that I agree that it matters so much, uh, so much what their reasoning is, so much as what the effect is. Because to Marcel's point, if the Sam Wilson Captain America stories had been really, really good, mm-hmm. I, I might have changed my mind. They weren't. I read them. They weren't really, really good. So yeah, certainly I think we've done our Lamort de la Tour, the author is dead episode. I don't know if it matters why they did it. If their point is only to make money and it does something notable and good that drives quality, then sure, you have a point. I I think that absolutely matters because making money, it is a business first. Sure. Well, think of the milestone universe. I mean, Mm -hmm. I remember when that started and when I was, you know, I mean, I was I was buying those books when it came out and they was mm-hmm. they interested me for what it was. There was I do remember, though, they had a, 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 a editor's piece in there. I think I'm sure Dwayne McDuffie wrote it. And the th- I kept remembering that they w- would refute that their characters were similar to pre-existing characters. Yeah, like, and they were lying. <laughs> and they were, of course, they were, because and I remember at the time thinking, oh, come on, you know, and I know that Icon is Superman. It's Superman. and static is spider-man and you know like come on but it can be okay i actually would have preferred had they just embraced that more uh, so would i because just just go with it and, and then you make it your own thing it was its own thing mm-hmm. and ultimately like the bottom line is going to be you know the quality of the work you know that's that's really what will hopefully stand the test of time mm-hmm. um I will so, there linked in the show notes for this episode. There'll be a link to a book that I think everyone should read. It's called black superheroes, milestone comics and their fans by Jeffrey A. Brown It's a brilliant, brilliant sort of history of the milestone universe and its effect on comics readership at the time that it fits very well. And with our topic that we've been talking about today, that sounds great. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it does. I'm a, I'll buy that. So, so. You need some sponsors so I can get that prepared. <laughs> <laughs> so like pretty much any conversation about diversity and race in America, we've resolved nothing. No, yeah, not at all. <laughs> but I do think we, I do think we opened up some really good a, questions. It was a good conversation. And I think that that's the point of, to go back to the guy who complains, well, well these stories should be for everybody, which means they should look just like me. You know, why do we need to force this social justice agenda down our throats? And again, comment have always done that. I think that all fiction, comics or otherwise, superheroes or otherwise, is about exactly what Marcel said. It's starting a conversation. I had my reasons for not liking Samus Cap. I accept my the people's reasons for why they did like it. I didn't like America. I accept why people did like it. There are probably people out there nobody on the show today who hated the Luke Cage television series, but loved Iron Fist because this is what a superhero should be. I lurk in these groups. I've read people who just say stuff like, I tried to watch Jessica Jones. I tried to watch Luke Cage. I just don't get it. It seems so boring because it's not for them. But even if they hate it, if they can watch Luke Cage and ask a question and start a conversation, 
even if it's just to argue. Even this guy who was just complaining about Shira and you know not looking like he wants her to look. I think the fact that he has that argument on Facebook with a half a dozen other middle-aged white dudes is useful to all of them, including him. He might not consciously realize that he's changing. He might not consciously be becoming more woke and that's fine, but there is a, an inkling of an idea in the back of his head now somewhere that maybe everybody doesn't think like me. And that's a net positive to the world for me. I can get with that. So diversity matters. That's what we've resolved. <laughs> yes. Um, Marcel <laughs> and JR, thank you for being on the show with us yes. today. Yeah. Yeah, thank this you was for having me. It's great. Yeah. Thanks, JR. JR, where can people find you if they want to read more about your project or just follow your other ramblings? <laughs> My other ramblings. Uh, I do have a Facebook page. It's uh, Facebook backslash the Black Heroes Movement. Uh, there's a website, the Black Heroes Movement dot world and Instagram. Dot world, you're better than dot <laughs> com. <laughs> those will be linked. You know yeah, those will be linked in the show notes. In, in that plug, I thought that there are more black heroes than we think. Oh. And so I paid the extra for the world oh. and discovered Canada, Barbados, three countries in Africa, France. And Australia, they're all having their own little movements that we don't know about. Yeah. I think that's, I think that's yeah. good to look at. So we will link that in the show notes as well. Uh, Marcel, what about you? Goodness gracious. Um, <laughs> you can always just, just type my name in a browser somewhere. And you'll just see all sorts <laughs> of stuff pop up. It's kind of ridiculous. I, you can always find me at the Holocaust Center of Pittsburgh, where I am the Hutzpah project manager. And I work on the comic book Hutzpah. Wayne is our lead writer on that, and uh, we are gearing up for volume four of Hood's Power right now. So uh, there's there's a lot in the works coming up there, and of course, uh, I'm the, I'm the board president of the Pittsburgh Institute Museum, and we're we're doing we don't have a physical space right now, but we're doing a lot of work behind the scenes so we can uh, eventually come back and reemerge in a new space. That'll be down the line a little bit, but you know, we're, we're looking towards having some future programming and things. And, and, you know, there's some things that we'll need some, some people's help with. So, uh, if you want to, you want to hook the Tunesium up, give me a call and, and I'll let you know what you can do. <laughs> Absolutely. Also linked in the show notes. Wayne, what about you? I, I like, I like Marvel's. Uh, <laughs> yeah. Marvel. Mar I like Marcel, I, Marcel, right? That That's your name, right? Uh, yeah. Yeah. Okay. okay. I, I like Marcel's <laughs> response. You can find me on the Google. <laughs> <laughs> that's true. You kind of can. <laughs> you can find me on Twitter at Chris Maverick. You can follow the show on Twitter at Vox Popcast. You you can follow my personal blog at www.chrismaverick.com or the show's blog at www.voxpopcast.com, where you will see us announce future upcoming topics and talking about what we're going to be doing in future weeks. You can become a part of our conversation and we will address your comments on the show. If you enjoy the show, and I hope you do, please subscribe on iTunes or Stitcher or Spotify or wherever the hell else you get podcasts from. And leave us a five-star review on iTunes and that helps other people find the show. And it makes me able to sleep at night and not cry and wonder where my next meal is going to come from. I need a sponsor. <laughs> like you said. <laughs> really do. Sponsors, right? Love me. <laughs> uh, I would like to thank Maximilian of Thoughtform Music for our epic theme song building ever more so epically as it plays us out. I'd once again like to thank both of our guests for being on the show. Thank you guys. Yeah, thanks, uh, guys. Thank you. Uh, 
I would like to thank you at home for listening, and we will see you next time. Goodbye. Bye. Bye. Why do you think black superheroes only save black people? They're busy. They ain't got the time to save the rest of the world. That's a luxury that only white superheroes have. My neighborhood's great. What else is going on out here in the world? Black superheroes got to focus on they block. I watch Luke Cage. Luke Cage is my show. Love Luke Cage. Luke Cage, if you don't know nothing about comic books or superheroes, Luke Cage is this TV show about an indestructible black man. The brother's bulletproof, super strength. He'll throw a truck at you like a football. You would think with his resume, he would be somewhere with Iron Man trying to save the universe. This motherfucker never leaves Harlem. He ain't got the time. Whole TV show, eight blocks. That's all it is. Luke Cage ain't got time to be saving everybody. He ain't even got time to go to Hell's Kitchen to help Daredevil. That's how busy Luke Cage is. Can't even take the one line. Luke Cage don't care about the rest of the world. Luke Cage is like, look, until Thanos come by the Apollo Theater, that ain't none of my business. Sweet Christmas. Sweet Christmas.